Welcome to the Smart Talk series, a Henry George School of Social Science podcast. The Smart Talk series is a weekly podcast with an array of discussions held with academics, policymakers, practitioners, and other professionals to explore new ideas and theories within the economics field. Our discussion today came from our most recent panel discussion on November of 2022. Our talk is hosted by Dr. Ibrahim Adrame, who is joined by Dr. Marty Rowland, Mr. Dan Sullivan, Ms. Denise Favreau, and Dr. Alexander Gavorkian. Our host, Dr. Drame, earned his PhD in International Political Economy from the University of Tsukuba in Japan. Dr. Marty Rowland earned his PhD in Natural Resource Economics from the University of New Orleans. He has taught at various institutions, such as Pace University and here at the Henry George School of Social Science. Dan Sullivan is a Georgia scholar, former president of the Council of Georgist Organizations, and director of Saving Communities, a Pennsylvania-based association that promotes fiscal integrity and economic justice. Ms. Denise Favreau is a licensed real estate broker at the Corcoran Group. Dr. Gavorkian received a PhD in economics from the New School. He's a subject matter expert on macroeconomics at the Permanent Observer Mission of the Holy See to the United Nations, a research fellow at the Center for Global Business Stewardship, as well as a professor in economics at St. John's University. And may I add a good one, as I can attest, as I was a student. Together, we discuss traffic congestion pricing policy, its impacts on low- and middle-income households, and different alternatives that could improve living standards in New York. We hope you enjoy this talk, and please make sure to check back on our page every week for a brand new episode, and happy Thanksgiving to all our American listeners. My name is uh, Ibrahim Adrame, and I'm the Director of Education at the Handy George School. Uh, we are very honored to have you here at our premises, and also we have a, a good audience online uh, for this special panel on congestion pricing. So before I hand it over to our uh, speakers, let me say a few words, not much, about the, the plan itself uh, and highlight and provide a few highlights. So the policy as such is really nothing new because it's been implemented in many cities already around the world. Now, the town city of Singapore, uh, the city state of Singapore is usually cited as an example. But there are also many because London started implementing it, I believe, in 2001. And you have uh, Milan in Italy. You also have Amsterdam and also two cities in Sweden. So, but in the United States, New York is taking the lead once again. And uh, the good news is also, I don't know, depending on how you see it, other cities are looking into the idea. You have LA, you have San Francisco, you have Seattle, you have Portland and Chicago. So uh, what is it about? So basically uh, in, a, in a certain area of the city, south of uh, 60th Street, mm -hmm. anyone who is driving in at certain hours would be charged a fee. So based on the, the actual numbers that we have right now, that's $9 to 23 during peak hours. And during uh, overnight, that's from 8 p.m. to 10. 5 to 12, and uh, 12 to 65 for small and large trucks like trailers. So the idea here is to leverage the powers of the price system in order to affect people's decisions to move from one area to another and to pick the most efficient 
uh, transportation means. So if you are traveling during peak hours, you're gonna pay more. And if you are traveling uh, by a trailer or by a truck, you are gonna pay even more. So uh, of course, the idea also is to allow the MTA to be in a position to raise a billion dollar a year in order to upgrade its system. Now, we must also understand that this is not just a fundraiser for government. Uh, some of the uh, impacts would be felt in the quality of the environment. Air pollution, for example, will it is expected will go down. There will be more fluidity in traffic and therefore more mobility. Uh, as an example, when they implemented it in London one year down the road, 30% improvement in congestion and uh, a similar percentage in terms of the speed of the cars. And of course, uh, the ridership on public transportation also improved by 38%. So which means that there is a connection between how you implement the plan and how much investment you do on public infrastructure. So, uh, but this is not a plan that is easy because it's also raising a lots, of, uh, lots of controversies. So some are uh, questioning uh, the very principle of the idea. Others are seeing it as unfair because it looks more or less like uh, another regressive tax. So uh, people who are not well off might bear the brunt of it. So uh, Mari, the floor is yours. Well, appreciate the, uh, the introduction, Ibrahima, and I'd like to welcome the other guests and the people online and people who are in person. It's a it's an honor to be on this uh, distinguished panel. I thought I would uh, start out. I have like seven minutes to uh, give you a little oh, three of my ideas, and I guess what I'm doing is uh, in in this time is to essentially say what Henry George would have said about uh, congestion pricing. Uh, but before I get started, I want to make sure that people realize that I'm not speaking for New York City or the uh, New York Parks Department. Uh, I only work there, um, <laughs> but I'm a registered uh, licensed professional engineer, educator, uh, professor. Uh, but I, I did want to get into uh, what Henry George would have said. Uh, for Henry George, this would be congestion pricing would be uh, the second best solution after the best policy of eliminating uh, what uh, he described very well, private property and land, allowing private ownership of everything else, which also allows private possession of land. Uh, congestion pricing is an example of what he called government direction and interference, uh, because we haven't eliminated the uh, the private property in in uh, in land. Then uh, <laughs> we have. Uh, we settle for the uh, congestion that we have. Um, the, so that's the, the idea that Henry George had, and we could get into more detail on that. But um, uh, the, the issue, and the issue is important because uh, there's always a need for additional money for MTA to improve their, their transit system. So uh, if the congestion pricing doesn't come up with the <laughs> we want to even improve then we always can have what's called a land value tax uh, the issue is is that um, 
had this policy been in effect for uh, 143 years after Henry George announced it in 1879, we'd have uh, 143 years worth of revenue to uh, improve transit, and we wouldn't have gotten to the point where we did. And that's Henry George's idea. So my second idea is that MTA should respect uh, industry best practices and follow the ASTM um, standard for infrastructure management of 15 types of public service, such as security, water, supply, education, healthcare, and use the community engagement uh, aspect for uh, transparency and accountability. Uh, this standard uses the infrastructure uh, in a, a complex way uh, where change X ripples through the 15 universes, uh, then ripple as a change uh, becomes change X1, X2 in successive iterations. <laughs> So uh, this is a, an example of this is the higher charges uh, placed on driving south of 60th Street uh, may lead to more traffic on streets north of 60. So these are uh, could re uh, end up being higher response times for police and ambulances and such. And then the last one, which is kind of like a uh, recommendation is uh, to de delay the con uh, congestion pricing for one year and do the following, uh, which is install all the monitoring cameras and data collection, data linkages between the vehicles and their owners and special accounts and see what happens without the pricing in effect uh, as if business as usual. Uh, identify who, what, where, when, so that when the program goes into effect, they're not uh, there then, then they could receive a check from the MTA paid by those who are there. So rather than just giving uh, an abatement to actually give them some money. So that's an idea I'm throwing out. Uh, a premium payment scheme should be those who run red lights, have uh, don't pull over for emergency vehicles, those kind of things. Uh, I think that all Manhattan residents with cars at the start date should be excluded from the payment uh, for the PC and the cars should be data linked to their homes. So if they sell their homes that they should, uh, uh, that exemption should go with the property. Um, and then lastly, uh, well, not lastly, but residents should be allowed to assign their exemption to taxis and to run errands. So, People who violate the, the rules that we set in place should be severely punished. So those are my introductory comments. I've, I've looked at the uh, history of how London successfully implemented them. And uh, there's some very good lessons to be learned, which I, I won't get into now, but I'll just uh, turn the floor over to uh, Ibrahima. Thank you very much, Dr. Mahdi. And uh, Dan Suleiman is here. Dan, would you uh, mind presenting now? Well, I was mostly um, I was mostly going to respond, but I have some thoughts on it. Um, one is it's it's been a while since I spent significant time in Manhattan, and what I noticed back then that was that street parking was free, and I don't know if it still is. But the street parking was free, but they had 
street cleaning from two to four on one side of the street and from noon to two on the other side of the street. And so there was this mad shift every day that people left their cars or pulled out of one side of the street and try and played musical chairs trying to get to the other side of the street. And so it struck me that the first thing they should do is charge enough of a rate for street parking that some people would give up parking on the street and then there would be plenty of parking for the remaining people. They would have to pay for it, but they're paying now because they're, they're paying with their time, leaving their place of work usually and going out and playing car jockey um, once or twice a day. So um, that's one thing. The, the other is that um, Donald Shoup is the guru for this, but he's made a very strong case that if a street has, um, if the street is full so that people are circling the block looking for a parking space, then you're not charging enough for parking. And if the street is half empty uh, so that there's always parking, then you're charging too much for parking. And that there, the ideal, the ideal um, price for parking should be such that um, that there's almost always one or two spaces on the street, so nobody has to circle the block, but no spaces are going wasted either. And um, I, you know, not being from New York, I don't know if if they have implemented any of that, but I think. That should be a first step. Um, there could also be a parking charge, and this includes for private lots, that you could put a tax on each parking space in a private lot, but the tax could be lower if the lot was equipped to charge for rush hour entry and rush hour exit. So you might have a a fair well in New York, what's reasonable is, is higher than what's reasonable anywhere else. But you might have a a rate of um, you know five dollars an hour or ten dollars an hour or something, and but there could be an extra ten dollars charged if you pull in before nine thirty, and an extra ten dollars charged if you leave after three thirty. And um, and then that that three thirty charge could run till till maybe six thirty, and then people who want to go see a show or something can arrive at six thirty when the the worst congestion is over and only pay the hourly rate. Um, with today's meters, the hourly rate can also be lower in the evening if if parking is not scarce in the evening. And um, so basically the rate should be higher wherever parking is scarce and whenever parking is scarce. So, um, but they should be predictable. One thing Donald Shoup has talked about is, is um, it's kind of like what Uber does with cab rides. If, you, if, a, if a street is suddenly crowded, then the next person to park has to pay you know, maybe $20 an hour or something. The problem with that is that 
a person can't predict what he's going to have to pay when he heads for Manhattan. Um, so that, that was one thought. The other is that residents should be the first to give up parking because if you live in Manhattan, you can always rent a car for the few times that you drive out of Manhattan. Um, so I have a problem with uh, residential exemptions. Um, you know, the residents are getting the greatest benefit from transit because once you live there, you know the transit system inside out. If I got in New York, it's a, it's a science project for me to figure out how to get somewhere on public transit. But um, it should be second nature to anybody who's lived there more than a month or two. Um, so residents should be the first to go up transit and commuters should be second. And that's where the, the rush hour entry charge makes sense. Um, and I, I saw in trying to find what was being proposed, I found a congestion charge for Uber and taxis and limousine drivers and stuff like that. And what, was, what struck me as odd is that the, the Uber drivers were charged, I think, 275 and the and the the licensed taxis were only charged 250 and that also struck me as as wrong because the the licensed taxis get cab stand privileges that the uber uber drivers don't get so you'll have in front of hotels and other places you'll have designated cab stands and only the the medallion owning licensed cab drivers can get that. Um, so they're getting more and they're paying less. And if anything, um, Milton Friedman pointed this out, that, that um, government should be charging for the medallions, that the, the medallion speculators, um, well, they've taken a bit of a loss since Uber came along, but the medallion speculators were paying over a million dollars to buy a medallion, and anybody who can pay a million dollars to buy a medallion is not driving a cab. So what they do is they buy these things, and then they levy a tax. The medallion owners levy a tax on the actual cab drivers in order to um, in order to collect off this medallion. And um, it strikes me that that the city of New York should collect off of the medallion and the more the city of New York collects the less the medallion owners will collect it's not actually it doesn't actually add to the price of a taxi trip what it does is drive down the the value of the medallion it's exactly the same as land value tax doesn't drive up rents it um, it drives down what the landowner is going to be able to charge you to to get a piece of land so that was um, that was another thought. So, um, so yeah, my first thing is my, oh, the third thing is that I, I don't, this might be in the proposal, but they put Interstate 80 right through New York City, which is not the, the fault of a trucker who's trying to drive to um, Connecticut. And, and so what I wondered is, when they charge truckers for entering Manhattan, do they charge them as they enter the interstate or do they charge them at the exits? 
uh, because it's the people getting off in Manhattan with heavy trucks that should pay the the um, the lion's share of of that charge. The people just driving through should be left alone. Um, but I don't know the answer to that, so I figured I'd ask the rest of you guys. And that's that's pretty much my thoughts for the moment. I might have more as I hear more from the presenters. Very good. Thank you, Dan. And uh, now we pass it to Denise. Thank you. Uh, well, I can see right off the bat, I'm going to disagree with one of my colleagues <laughs> on the panel. So that's that's a good thing, I think. Exactly. Um, I'm actually... Oh, for lively discussion. Yes, Dan, I'm coming for you. Um, <laughs> and I'm also going to consult my notes. I'm not going to be freeform because I made some important points. So I don't want to miss every, anything. But um, I am actually here to give a perspective more from the real estate industry in New York, where we represent not only residents, but also business owners and how this congestion pricing plan as currently proposed may be impacting um, those people. And I'm also speaking uh, as a resident of below 60th Street and some of those concerns as well so that you might be able to relate to. But I am seeing a lot of conflicting, many conflicting predictions for how congestion pricing is going to impact property values in the zone, including both residential and commercial. Um, in Singapore, for example, one of the cities that implemented the program successfully, <laughs> uh, congestion pricing led to a 19% drop in retail real estate prices. However, in London, the program resulted in a 3% increase in residential property values. So it's just interesting when you're seeing um, how the how this is impacting the different cities. And in London, I believe, Ibrahim, you would know, this was implemented in 2003 in London. Was uh, it 2003? I, I think it was 2001. I'm not sure. Many, many, many years of learning. So I'm really hoping New York is looking at these lessons learned uh, from many years in London. So while the goals of reducing traffic congestion and improving our air quality through lower emissions is such an important mission for Manhattan, uh, as currently proposed, the plan is imposing unfair, inequitable, and exorbitant costs on only a segment of Manhattan residents, those living below 60th Street. At the moment, there are no neighborhood or income exemptions cited in the current proposal other than an income exemption for those residents with a household income of 60000 and below. Okay. And we're talking about $9 or $23 peak hour fees is what's being presented. That, that's not small. There's only one neighborhood below 60th Street that has a median household income below 60000 and that's the Lower East Side. In the Lower East Side, the median income is uh, 53000 but the average income is 83000 So you are not talking about too many people who are going to be getting the benefit of an exemption. Of an exemption. This is based on the 2020 um, Census Bureau survey. So while wealthier neighborhoods in zones like uh, in neighborhoods like Tribeca, Soho, West Village, they may not feel the hardship of the increased cost of living that congestion pricing will bring, 
the residents of several other lower to middle income, once again, it's lower to middle income people, those neighborhoods like Chinatown, East Village, Hell's Kitchen, Little Italy, parts of Midtown East, parts of Midtown West, they will be significantly impacted by the increased daily living costs and possible property value declines. So let me review just some of the major areas of concern with the current proposal that's, you know, I'm at least just hearing from real estate industry colleagues. First, congestion pricing is representing a blatant display of wealth inequality, which is a major tenant of Henry George. And uh, we're seeing it in the real estate industry in New York City every single day. Anyone who's reading the paper sees that, what's happening in New York City with rents and property values. The congestion fees achieve making driving more expensive for zone residents who can least afford it. Dividing the borough into the within the zone and outside the zone further exacerbates a divide of unfair and inequitable costs pushed onto residents and property owners inside the zone. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. If this is progress and pro property, you know, at its most blatant. Um, while the rest of the Manhattan residents are exempt from this significant additional financial burden, but they will benefit. Another big concern is property values within the zone for individual and commercial owners will likely be impacted in different ways, depending on which zone and neighborhood you live in. So the lower middle income neighborhoods will now be more expensive to reside in. That's causing, that will cause values of properties in these neighborhoods to decrease and property owners will likely need to negotiate like, uh, lower prices when looking to sell or rent their properties. But conversely, property owners in wealthier neighborhoods like Tribeca and Soho are hoping for increases in their property values and believe buyers and renters will pay a premium to live in a neighborhood with promised lower traffic congestion and better air, air quality. So you're just seeing this divide again between wealth and lower middle income residents in New York City and businesses. Uh, another concern, Manhattanites already tend to pay more for things related to daily living, such as you know rent, groceries, parking, et cetera. Services that rely on truck deliveries for their businesses to operate successfully will likely need to raise their costs of goods and services in order to absorb the higher trucking costs whose congestion fees will be passed on to them. Again, the lower middle income residents who are already struggling with very high inflation will bear the burden for the higher prices. Whereas businesses operating in the wealthier zone neighborhoods believe their patrons will easily absorb these service increases. Also, the number of cars in the congestion zone may go down, but the use of for hire car traffic like Uber and Lyft will likely increase as it did in London. So additional surcharges are passed on to riders without the benefit of decreased traffic congestion. There is one hypothesis that the yellow cab business will slowly refrain from operations in Manhattan in the zone as cabbies will discontinue with their cruising for passengers in the congestion zone. So again, another depletion of service for those living below 60th Street. This could also impact property values in that zone. Now, from a commercial standpoint, 
The many auto garages operating in the congestion zone may struggle with lower income and lost business, as many of the car owners in the zone will choose to park their cars above 60th Street to avoid the tolls to cross out of the zone on their way to work for recreation. There, this is also a concern of the homeowners, by the way, who live immediately outside of the zone, who fear losing their parking options and seeing increased traffic in their neighborhoods. So parking garages just north of 61st Street will likely begin charging substantial premiums. And Dan, there are never any empty spark parking spaces in New York City. <laughs> just so you know, never. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, many tri-state residents drive their cars into Manhattan for business or leisure because the city has failed to provide safe, clean, and reliable subway service as an alternative travel option. I mean, there, there are some people who are never going to go on the subway. It's scary. It's unsafe to many, many people, and they don't want to be underground. And all of this congestion pricing funding is going to improve the subway service. So at the same time, congestion pricing is planning to use this new revenue source to work on improved and safer subway service. The MTA is also still planning to raise fares again. So you've got this double whammy. So, you know, we understand the conceptual mission of congestion pricing is an important one. Decrease traffic congestion in a concentrated, busy urban city center and cut down emissions, leading to better air quality for city dwellers. However, the New York City plan as currently proposed is insufficient in protecting all Manhattan residents with appropriate exemptions that do not discriminate against lower middle income residents whose quality of life will be significantly impacted by likely decreased property values and increased cost of daily living. You know, London keeps being held up as a shining example of how congestion pricing can be. But that program is way more nuanced after many years of experience and has many exemptions, such as car owners who happen to live in the London zone receive a 90% discount on congestion fees. That's nowhere in the current proposal for New York City. In fact, London is also currently looking at expanding the program to cover a much wider area of London, and New York should learn from this. Why just below 60th Street? Why is everyone below 60th Street being penalized? So New York City's Traffic Mobility Review Board should really consider how to structure the congestion fee program more equitably across the city to achieve its goals of cleaner air quality, less traffic, and more revenue to invest into the city's mass transit system. I mean, congestion pricing is coming. So there's, you know, this is not an argument against it. It's a, it's a more an argument of you've got to make it work for everyone, right? As in its current, in its current form, it's just really okay. discriminatory. The current proposal unfairly punish, punishes those residents and business homeowners living and working below 60th Street, me, <laughs> with more expensive daily cost of living, as well as likely distress of home and business ownership prices. It's just another tax on hardworking New Yorkers. So hopefully New York City can launch a successful congestion pricing plan that will equitably work for all residents and business while achieving its important environmental goals. That is my hope. Thank you.
Beautiful. Thank you, Denise. And now let's hear from uh, Dr. Gevorkian from uh, St. John's University. Hi, Brahima. Thank you. Um, and just like Maria, I should say, I'm only speaking for myself, <laughs> only on only on my behalf. And those are just the places I work with or affiliated with. So thank you for this invitation and uh, welcome to the audience. And uh, I'm uh, listening to all my co-panelists. I'm a bit puzzled what it is that I can offer that's new. <laughs> uh, you pretty much touched on all uh, important points. Um, but I will try. As an economist, um, I will actually try to avoid numbers, but think in terms of more um, uh, interconnected systems instead. Because economists have this um, kind of a, a, a magic sort of way of explaining things. The market will kind of take care of itself. You just impose a tax, impose a fee, and the market will sort itself out. But Denise mentioned several key points that it, that connects to my remarks. And by the way, before I even continue, I should say, state the following. I very much uh, am for a walkable city where you can walk and experience the neighborhood. And in the spirit of Jane Jacobs, I think this is something that is critical uh, and defines New York City. So uh, we should be very much appreciative of that. And it is with that appreciation um, as well that I will just in a moment will continue. I also take the train, I take the subway um, um, for my uh, regular commute, but at the same time I drive on occasion. Um, so I guess uh, my uh, remarks are kind of coming from this mix of all these different interactions and the views that we have and, and probably share about New York City. What Denise mentioned, although is very, very important for a lot of people to understand, and that is that New York City is not the postcard Empire State Building neighborhood. It is actually much more. It's a massive economy bigger than many countries in the world. And this massive economy is comprised of five boroughs, which are interlinked uh, through roadways, but also train system, subways, and the buses. But let's just stay with, with the subway. And um, for, for the actually significant large part and portion of the, the New York City, which is not appearing on the congestion pricing maps, right? Um, the uh, the uh, major way of um, com communicating and crossing uh, from one neighborhood to another is actually by driving. There's also an option for a bus, but the realities, uh, and I, I'll try to minimize the micro comments, but the realities are, is that it's not necessarily the most uh, pleasant option when it is raining and windy at the same time and snowing and someone is trying to get to a job interview, let's say, all dressed up and, and at their best. Um, or when you need to carry packages, things like it, that. Well, <laughs> I'm not even, yes, I'm not even getting into that because then you have, uh, okay, so we have a group of uh, different, uh, not just those people who may just dislike the subway. Uh, you know, if, when you live in New York long enough, you meet a lot of different people of different interests. And there are those who just don't understand how you can take the train. You should always be driving. So we let's, let's be reasonable somewhere in the middle, but indeed carrying packages the answer to this might be well delivery, but delivery is another cost, right? Which you have to pay um, and uh, removes, uh, takes out some flexibility. But let's 
but but my major point for now, uh, at least the first point I think, is uh, to connect with Denise's comment about, um, she put it really well, dividing the borough. And uh, that has a very uh, significant effect, not just uh, realist, from real estate perspective, not just from revenue um, uh, generation or environmental concerns, but a socioeconomic uh, effect as well, um, which affects quality of life, which affects, uh, the, the, again, the, those are intangible things which economists cannot measure, and that is why they often are falling out of the calculation. At the same time, a concept such as congestion pricing um, may be beneficial in the longer term as, um, as, as um, for the purposes of, um, again, changing the behavior, right? De-incentivizing like, uh, use of cars with some greater goal in mind. So we have here at least one goal which was presented in the introduction and that is the environmental uh, and minimizing exhaust and pollution, which is a very serious concern for the city. But it should be noted, of course, that technology and in general, the economic progress is such by definition that it doesn't stay stagnant, right? It changes and a lot of newer model cars have automatic shutoff. And so there's uh, already some type of somewhat probably small, but con uh, contribution to reducing the pollution uh, when cars are idling. Some time ago, New York City uh, um, adopted a regulation which limited uh, the curb idling to three minutes. So these days, if the car has this automatic shutoff, engine shutoff, then uh, there's no exhaust. Um, but if the goal is just revenue generation, then again, going back to Denise's point, this has a very detrimental effect on the larger uh, group of New Yorkers. In fact, in one of the documents uh, with this proposal that, that's been put out there, there's a paragraph that states it is actually the lower middle income groups and lower income groups that will be most affected and burdened by this. So again, again economists come to this with a view that, okay, that the, these residents will just have to move out and uh, kind of free up space for higher paying residents. And in kind of this, this sort of cynical economics logic, it works, but we realize that's not the right way, um, or at least I think so. Um, there's another problem with comparisons to other cities, I think, um, and it comes from a couple of um, sort of points of view because I actually had a few more things to mention, but my co-panelists touched on some of them. And uh, again, my remarks should not be taken as being against congestion pricing in principle, no, but what needs to be done probably a bit more of an assessment of uh, how this current plan um, would be sort of the consequences of this current plan for New York City. So a couple of things, number one, it is important to understand geography of New York City. It is an island, uh, both whichever way we look, uh, right? From Manhattan to Staten Island to Queens, Brooklyn, uh, the Bronx may be getting uh, some uh, leeway here, but still their water is around uh, the, these areas. And there are just few crossings into Manhattan. And for anyone living east of Manhattan, the way to get to the western part of Hudson River 
even if we just take the New Yorker's famous cover, there is something beyond the river. Um, you have to most likely cross Manhattan. Um, now, the response to this would be, well, you can go around Staten Island or uh, uh, again, the Bronx. Already, those roadways are jam-packed with traffic without any congestion toll pricing or anything like this going into effect. What was mentioned by co-panelists is that introducing a congestion toll of pricing at below 60th Street would result in more cars diverting into those already busy roadways. And then what Denise also mentioned in her remark is that this will have a significant detrimental effect to quality of life for the residents in the boroughs through which those cars will be traveling. Um, whether it's through parking or people trying to go around the traffic, taking smaller streets uh, and, and so on. It, the, that's the, the problem about socially dynamic systems. They build up and the urban economy and the, New York, and the problems build up. And the problem within New York City is that. So, um, so th these are all very serious, uh, I think, concerns to be discussed rather than focusing on the possible end result, right? So it's fine, but the means to the end result should be very carefully uh, addressed. And with that, and again, that's connecting with the dividing the borough, it should be a system-wide solution. What Denise mentioned about London is important. What we know about Singapore is that it's ranked second or first best tra public transportation system in the world. Well, then if you have something like this, then you can impose $100 congestion pricing and it would not really matter as much, right? So instead, this solution should be to uh, start the subway. I'm strictly with subway, but of course there are other Long Island Railroad buses, is to start with those improvements, I think. Um, why is it that people have this perception that subway is not safe? Well, this has to be addressed. Part of it is public relations campaign, but bigger part of it is, of course, predictability of how trains operate and, and, and certain basic expectations. It's, and, and usually when I mention something like this, the answer is you should have seen the subways in the 1980s. I've seen that in the movies, but that is not a valid defense in the 21st century when there are benchmarks out there on the international scale and even on the national scale. For example, you land into pretty much almost any airport, major airport in Europe. And um, chances are you will be able to go down into the um, tunnel and take the train that directly takes you to the city center. You don't need to change trains, carry your luggage. Right now we have something like this just for JFK, but even then you have to transfer, right? So I always feel sorry for folks on the E-train when I see them, because that is, <laughs> it is, you can see the fear in their eyes. Where are we? What is going on? And I mean, that's how it is. We're, we're, we're okay. But for somebody who is not, who is used to a very different pattern of public transportation in terms of fun functionality, it takes some type of adjustment. So I think, not, but the question to the subway improvement is, well, there's no money. Well, we are already paying um, part of the sales tax that goes towards MTA. And um, if we are thinking about improvements for everyone, this is not a popular proposal, but maybe if there is no absolutely any other way to find the money, it is maybe to raise the sales tax, maybe to some round number. Because if we just leave it 
to the congestion pricing as a hope to raise certain amount of funds, then we are actually um, sort of socializing the risk to borrow from the discussions from the global financial crisis, but limiting the gains. By socializing the risk or the burden, that's the, the drivers, Uber uh, drivers as well, and, and, and passengers and so on, who would be contributing to the fund and however great it's going to be or large and so on. But the benefits would really be just for that section of the city. And Denise mentioned in her remarks the problems with that. And um, we are all, especially those who live in the city, are familiar with the inequalities that are sort of persist in, across the boroughs. And um, I don't think this, is, this will be helping us. Uh, in urban economics, there is a concept of leapfrogging development. When a portion within an urban area, one portion gets developed, then another portion is skipped, and then the next is developed. For example, if, well, let's leave the examples out, but it, it, it is a, a risk, it becomes a risk then for New York City's uh, sort of cohesive and, and, and kind of overall urban integrity. It, at the same time, I'm not defending or st stating that everyone should be just driving 24 hours a day. Now, what needs to be also changed is the behavior in terms of driving. And this is for someone else to figure out how to suggest this. But in, because I have a very annoying habit of talking to the drivers, unlike Elaine Venice and Seinfeld, um, <laughs> I, everywhere I go, I try to learn something. And uh, it, it was in Dublin that the driver, the taxi driver told me, it's my question, why is things are moving? Why are things moving relatively smoothly? The answer was very simple. If everybody obeyed the rules, then things would have been okay. Um, I mean, we have so many um, nuanced situations in the city that do not get addressed, um, that would actually simplify and uh, relieve the congestion problems. Not even, the double parking is the easy part, but the double parking of, uh, let's say, delivery vehicles or emergency vehicles, this could be resolved by opening up some space from parking to dance point, instead of just removing two spots next to the building's uh, uh, service doors, right? So this removes already a delivery car out of the uh, uh, blocking the roadway and lets the traffic pass. Um, so these, again, these are my thoughts, but then, uh, and then lastly, this was mentioned by Dan about the cab uh, stands. Uh, we need to account for changes in consumer preferences and consumer behavior. And it's not a guarantee that if the yellow cab is there, somebody will jump into it, especially if they're not from New York, especially at the hotels, they will most likely will try to do something that is familiar and that is called Lyft or Uber. Um, so um, I think that aside from the reasons why there's a difference in, in the congestion fee. Um, so I think um, kind of obeying the rules, driving habits, and looking at this question from a sort of city systemic uh, point of view. Um, so these are just my thoughts. Again, I don't want to change completely sort of start a revolution here, but I think it, it is worth keeping this com these complexities in mind. So thank you for your attention. Thank you very much, uh, Alec, and thank you, of course, all our panelists.
there are a couple of questions in the chat here. One is, how else would you fund mass mass transit? Well, my favorite candidate would be the land value land value tax, the land value capture, especially. But if you have any, I guess that question was addressed to Alec. Do you have any other oh, alternative? Well, mm -hmm. The idea that I had was the sales tax increase from tax what is it, eight seventy five? I'm forgetting, um, but to ten percent. Um, that's possibly one. It's not going to be a commonly accepted idea, but still the exemptions, let's say on clothing or some food items would apply. Um, and, um, and, and it would be a little bit more of a kind of transparent and more inclusive way of uh, doing this because it'll affect a greater, a greater number of people who would be benefiting from the empty improvements or subway improvements. Sure. Um, otherwise, you have just a small group that is paying for those improvements, <clears throat> which probably is unfair. But to uh, Ibrahima's point on the land value tax, well, then, Denise, then within this zone, however you'd like to refer to it, <laughs> 60th Street and below, the, the, the land value taxes have to go up, or the property taxes would have to go up. Um, because generally, if uh, a neighborhood becomes relatively nicer with improved, let's say, quality of life, in this case, measured by lower congestion, right? It should drive property prices higher. Yep. Um, um, and so this is where the land value tax might be appropriate, probably. Um, Thank you. But Very there are many other ways how to look for money in New York City, and that can be found. <laughs> Can I just make a comment uh, here? Yeah, go ahead, Denise. Um, you keep putting driving the taxes up, more people are going to move out and no one's going to be here to use the subway. <laughs> no, but I'm only talking about sales tax, nothing else. There's, it, there, it, there's already a premium. There's, I mean, that's people are feeling overtaxed enough in New York City. Yes, and so there's already a premium. Somebody made a comment earlier about, well, you know, people who can't afford it are just going to have to move and let wealthier people come in the city. Honestly, I can't even believe I heard that comment. I don't know where it came from, but, you know, that's like just pushing out middle class, lower that, class that's, New Yorkers and making this just a city full of wealthy people. It's just that's the thing. So that was that, exactly. So that was my example of what might be a possible result, a, which, which yeah. is not the desirable outcome here. Right. Okay. I mean, I, I would, the desirable outcome would be for everyone to have their incomes go up, but New York City is already has imposes a premium, uh, mm -hmm. right? With various. Why we lost a lot of population. Yeah. All right. Uh, there is a question. On that. Oh, um, okay, Dan, you want to go ahead? Yeah. One is that a lot depends on how you do it. Um, Dave Wetzel, who a lot of us know, and I've talked to him about this. He introduced transport. He he was the vice president of transport for London in charge of the congestion charge, and he said the congestion charge is not a revenue generator. Okay. The pot, pro, the pro, the purpose was to rationalize transit and or rationalize driving, so that the the people to whom driving was the most valuable would drive. And they would then be f 
free of the congestion. So instead of circling the block for an hour uh, to find a parking space, if you wanted to go into a business and buy something and it took you half an hour to buy it, and they're charging um, $10 an hour for congestion for parking, then you would have to pay $5 for half an hour to park. But if your time was worth um, $10 an hour or more, then not having to circle the block for half an hour trying to find a space makes the $5 payment worthwhile. And the, the concept was basically, if you try to raise money from these congestion charges um, significantly beyond the cost of administering the congestion charges, then you'll probably screw it up. And there is a good chance that, um, that New York will try to milk this for revenue to fund transit or whatever. And that probably won't work because the whole point of the congestion charge is to reduce the number of people who would be paying the congestion charge. And right. if you go beyond that, and you go beyond that to the point that your parking spaces are empty, then, um, then maybe, maybe you're costing businesses a lot of money. The, um, the other reason I like charging for parking before you do these territorial congestion charges is that uh, even if you end up doing the charge, what would happen is that if people had to pay a congestion charge to cross 50, 60th Street, then the parking rates would go up north of 60th Street and they would go down south of 60th Street <laughs> to, offset the, to offset the congestion charge. So the parking aspect, the parking charge aspect is necessary even if you do the congestion charge, but you should do the parking charge first. And until you've done so much parking charges that there's always a space on the, on the block. And, and, the, and the other thing is you can adjust it block by block. So the parking charges can go down the further you get from Central Park, the further you get from, from the, the Wall Street uh, financial sector. The parking charges would probably be less in the Lower East Side or Hell's Kitchen or, or whatever and would probably be less as you went north of Central Park. So you, could, you don't have to have a hard border. You can have parking charges that are lower at 60th Street and lower still at 70th Street and lower still at 80th Street until you get to the point where there's free parking because there's not that many people that want to park there. And, and it might be in New York, there are no such places. Uh, I know Brooklyn is always packed for parking. And, I can't and, believe uh, New York City has not looked at this parking aspect scenario yeah. before. Definitely. <laughs> There's, I don't but, know any background parking, on it, but it's not like they've never looked at it before. Yeah, but the big, the big advantage of charging market rates for parking is that you don't have this hard border between 60th Street, you know, between north of 60 and south of 60. Yeah. So that's, that's the but, second but, thing. Um, the third thing is that I'm, I'm trying to figure out, I know that there are lower middle income groups living in Manhattan, but are, are there lower income groups 
that own cars in Manhattan, or, or there's a significant number of car owners in those little, those um, lower income groups. And if they have to drive to work, if they have to drive outside of Manhattan to get to work, which is the only reason they couldn't take transit to work, um, then maybe they should live outside of, of Manhattan so that so that that's their community is you're a asking lot less. people to move. That's just not acceptable. Yeah, to, to me that yeah, to me I'm sorry that that's that is, that is, that's been happening in New York, unfortunately, but it's been causing rupture across the communities, right? And the whole concept of uh, neighborhood and urban economy just kind of disappeared. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, I'm not asking people to move. I'm asking them to, you know, their their car imposes a social cost, and I'm asking them to pay that social cost. And the flip so, side of so that ask is, them, I, so ask them throughout the whole city. Why below 60th Street? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm I'm absolutely I absolutely agree with that. The, right. the parking should pay market rates in the entire all five boroughs yes. wherever there's a, an absence of parking. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the congestion is people circling the block looking for a. The thing a is, I'm, um, not, I'm not really sure. Uh, Dan, we have a lot of questions, so let me uh, let's. Yeah, I'm not sure. I got parking. I got one short point, which is that all taxes drive down the benefit of living there and doing business there. And Actually, that it definitely includes the sales tax. So what I want to know with New York is, are they just doing this to get more money or are they going to lower some other tax because they impose this tax? I no, think in the, no in the proposal, <laughs> in the proposal, it clearly states that this is a revenue generation and then yes. which would allow then the MTA to borrow 15 billion, which is a number from 2019 of pre-pandemic times. So this yes. is this is not really about parking, and then right. circling for parking is really a minor topic uh, within this. I think um, it's more really about there's a lot of cars out there uh, with rideshare, especially, and the rideshare drivers are those low middle income drivers um, that are out there and uh, across the city. But there's another. I'll let Ibrahim get to the questions, but there's another bigger uh, topic here that goes back to the inclusiveness and the, so if I have, we have time at the end, I'll talk. Thank you, Alec. Uh, we have lots of questions. Uh, this one is, I believe, from uh, Rick Rybeck. Uh, he said, uh, the speaker from the New York real estate community, that would be you, correctly notes the inequities that arise from arbitrary tolling boundaries. Could these inequities be eliminated or mitigated by substituting a distance-based and congestion-based fee in lieu of a charge for crossing some arbitrary boundary? But any of the panelists, uh, you could answer if you want. Uh, well, I have to say, I'm not an expert on congestion pricing. So, you know, and I'm not uh, an economist, so, I'm just objecting to the way the proposal is currently discriminating. Um, if somebody else on the panel wants to take that, I did mention that I don't understand the divide below 60th Street if the entire borough was perhaps sharing this responsibility. That might you know, be a way to consider. I, I can't believe that the um, 
the transit committee has not looked at this. I just I you know, I don't have that information. I just can't believe this hasn't been looked at. I'm just not understanding the the discrimination on the below 60th street. Uh, there's probably technology behind it. I just don't know it well, but if there is a way to figure out the zip code, the license plate, right? So then you know how far it's coming from New York City. Then you could uh, introduce the different varying uh, toll fees, right? And anything from outside of New York City gets charged more. Uh, but the residents of New York City are already paying uh, tolls. Anyone who's, and again, this should not be taken as a defense for driving. I would prefer to minimize the amount of driving um, on my part, for example. But nevertheless, uh, if you, um, it's, but it is quite telling in terms of behavior of what we're seeing. If you're entering the city from Queens, there are a couple of options. One is take the Queens tunnel. The other is to take the bridge. And um, there's a line, there's a line of cars piling up getting onto Long Island Expressway, which is a long way before you get to actually to at Queensboro Bridge. Um, so on a daily basis, on an every minute by minute basis. So there's al already massive congestion there. Um, and again, this example is only just, it's, it's an example only just to tell the, the, the behavior, not again to say that driving is the best thing ever. But it is for the reason to avoid paying tolls in Queens Tunnel. Right? Are there higher tolls at rush hour at Queens Tunnel? Or are they the same all day long? They're all standard. Yeah, they're the same. They're all standard. I think it's the same. Those are going up as yeah. well. There, 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 there was an attempt, I think, to have a higher. I don't remember that. Marty, and in the middle of the night, they could be free. I mean, it's just. Let me, uh, let me uh, read a question here from the audience. Uh, the West Side Highway plus the FDR Drive will be exempt from congestion pricing. When you leave these zones to access bridges and tunnels, uh, does anyone know if once you drive on the streets, will the uh, charge apply. So, so are you asking? So, say your car is parked on. You live on Broadway and 14th Street, and so you're going to take 14th Street to the West Side Highway, where it's exempt. But what about you getting from 14th and Broadway to the? I have no idea if that. I think I think I, uh, you will be. I think you will be charged. You will be charged. Yes. I think. It is about access to the city. So yeah. once you cross Queensboro Bridge and get onto FDR, let's say, um, and and then continue on FDR, but downtown, and then and then get into the streets in downtown, then come back to the FDR. Somehow, somewhere, there's going to be that there's camera. There's going to be a charge. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So the the perimeter uh, streets like FDR, those are just uh, you know bypassing a lot of the uh, the center street yeah. so that's a good thing so they would but go up there and then, and then just <laughs> go in and out and you know it's a matter of how they calculate the going in and out so i guess that's why i proposed a uh, a period before the implementation where you you can actually <laughs> run a simulation in real time and say this is what would have happened if we implemented it three months ago you know you could play those kind of games 
I, I did want to hear Rick's question again. I didn't quite get it. Okay, uh, we'll get to that. We have too many questions, Marty. I'll read it to you later when the panel is done, okay? okay. All right, so uh, this one is from Michael uh, Murray online. If the purpose of congestion pricing is to rationalize driving behavior, why not channel the incremental revenue into general funds for whatever needs the city, the city uh, needs to meet instead of targeting the funds at the bloated inefficient bureaucracy that, the MM, that is the MTA. And if the goal of congestion pricing is to fund improvements in mass transit, benefiting commuters, why not just reinstate the commuter tax or increase state income taxes instead of punishing residents of the congestion pricing zone? Well, I got a, an answer to that. Okay, go ahead, Marty. Okay, well, um, you know, the, the idea that's being uh, worked here and it's uh, what was done for London is that you, first off, uh, you know, the word congestion is in all these uh, schemes. So if you don't reduce congestion, then it is just a big scam. And, a, you, know, uh, you know, so you have to uh, have an outcome that's uh, what you're going for. And uh, so if you do get the uh, reduced uh, congestion, then uh, you have to provide the opportunity for other means of getting around. And like in London, they they expanded the bus service so that there was a, a direct uh, connection between people not driving and people taking the bus. So they, they had to do something that was a good uh, switchover. Um, so, you know, the, the, you know, this is the Henry George School. So, you know, the, the thing that's missing is that we're not adequately uh, collecting the, the revenue from the, the land value. And that's how all transit systems around the world work, you know, like we talk about Singapore, Tokyo, Hong Kong, uh, they don't rely on fees. Uh, that's, that's crazy. Uh, you get, you fund your transit by the, the land value at the transit stops. And uh, anybody who thinks otherwise just doesn't know what the, the literature is about. So, you know, we're missing the, the opportunity that's out there. And uh, I think I would like to just give a, a plug to the, the real estate industry that Denise is part of, because they've come out in favor of the, uh, the, uh, the congestion taxes that we're talking about with the idea that the land values would go up. Uh, you'd they'd go up if you reduce the congestion. So this is actually a good backdoor for a uh, Henry George type land value taxation scheme where we, we have the real estate industry backing the congestion pricing, which reduces congestion, which should uh, increase home values, which includes the land value. And then you could uh, take the tax off of buildings. And then that might be the, the way that we generate the, the revenue that we need for all these services. Mm -hmm. But you need the appropriate exemptions yeah, and I mentioned all the other people because, you know, uh, as somebody who lives below 60th Street, yeah, who also yeah. is a subway rider, I yeah. do not have a car and I'm on the subway every single day and I'm in the East Village and I'm now having to, you know, consider my cost of living increasing again 
because yeah. all the services in my area will be passing on their fees from their truckers or from the Ubers yeah. I have to take sometimes, et cetera. So, well, you know, well, I'm being I, penalized for using public transportation. Uh, that's why that's why I advocate for all residents to actually get a get a check in the mail when they stop driving. Um, but you know, it, so the people who live there aren't the ones that created the uh, congestion. It's people from the outside, and that's really what we should be looking at. Oh, actually, I would disagree with this. With the people, first of all, we don't know, and but second, it is quite feasible to suggest that people who live there take a lot of trips. In fact, early on in the this whole big data kind of conversations, this would be ten years ago. There were attempts to estimate. Um, trips, most of the trips by uh, the yellow cap uh, trips would originate in downtown uh, and and uh, sometime, somewhere up closer to Upper West Side, Upper East Side. Yeah, that was the majority almost. I, I, well, I don't want to give a number, but it was more than 50% of yellow cap uh, trips during the day. And we can imagine there are millions of those trips. But that's because those garages, that's where the taxi cab garages. No, 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 it's, it's people downtown. Hailing, you know, no, no, it's people hailing the, no, it's, it's the passenger traffic. But without the data, we're just, we're just going. Uh, but the data, the, what that's what I'm saying. The data is out there. The data is out there. It's easily captured. And we, no, I think, no, I think what, uh, what I'm talking about is implement the system as if it's active, collect the data. And then you could be uh, accurate. Yes, there, there has to be some type of uh, um, quiet sort of testing. But yeah. uh, but another pilot maybe could have pilot project could have been uh, to start with the sort of New York City uh, urban boundary sort of anything that is five boroughs that's kind of movement movement within the boroughs is freeze and there's not taxed or there's no toll. But anything coming from the outside that's when. You have to pay whether you're a resident or not resident. Um, that would be a little bit more fair, at least to all New York City residents. Okay. Uh, here is another question from uh, from the audience here. What about people who may be physically challenged? Exactly. On cars, but need to visit doctors, hospitals. This includes elderly, the elderly, as well as others. Shouldn't they be exempt when they are unable to take public transportation? That's, they are they are exempt according to the plan, right? Yes. Okay. They're exempt according to the plan, but the way you prove the exemption is by having a paper. But to get the paper, not everyone has this uh, a paper exemption, That's right? Exactly. Someone may not be feeling well to get on the train, so they're asking a friend to, a friend to drive or they carpool with a friend. Mm -hmm. um, how how is this sort of Where's the doctor's notice? It becomes really yeah. odd at the end. They have to get the, to Alex's point, you have to get the paper, but that is in the current proposal that there will be exemptions for, for those but, circumstances. Yes, but some people are capable of moving around. They're independent, but they're not as energetic, let's say, as they may have been some time ago. It, would be for psychological reasons they would wouldn't want to get the, this paper confirming they have a disability. Yeah, it it is possible, right? Of course, somebody might say these those are minor cases, but then again, we're talking about creating a livable environment for this in the city. And, and again, cars are not necessarily the solution, but for now, that's what we have. 
Ibrahima, uh, before we take another question, I wanted to make sure I had time to pose one thing before we, we close is the our prognosis of whether this thing actually will work. And I guess my point uh, going back to London is that uh, London had a very strong uh, influential mayor who had the authority to do what he did. He had the financial resources and he had had a lot of independence. He didn't need uh, permission from anybody else. So uh, that's a very unusual situation that London had that I'm not sure that we can really, well, actually it was a, uh, a person who was really championing the thing. And I don't think we have that combination in New York City, but I just throw, throw that out, whether we talk about it now or later. Yes, you also had a, a good collaboration between uh, former Governor Cuomo and former Mayor uh, de Blasio, who worked together to make it happen here in New York City. Right? The mayor of London was defeated not long after he did that, though. So <laughs> whether, whether that contributed uh -oh. to it or not is so I'm not question. saying that 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 he was good forever, but at the time it was implemented, that's mm -hmm. how he pulled it off. And I don't think that we're going to be able to pull it off to get any experience. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, one more question from uh, the audience here. Should we treat the MTA as a landlord? And would it be possible to find ways to incentivize them to be more efficient and effective? So <laughs> that is a great question. And anyone who walked Brooklyn Bridge in 2005 in December during the strike should think about it. Um, because it, at the time, people sympathized with MTA's demands, but at the same time, it was a major difficulty for a lot of people. Um, and being in that crowd crossing the bridge kind of <laughs> makes, makes you wonder how can how could the system work so that clearly MTA workers' demands are met, but at the same time, the rest of the city also continues to function. Yeah, I wasn't here in 2005. What was that? It was an exciting time. The uh, <laughs> MTA went on strike. Subway stopped running, and okay. uh, as a way to as a, and again, if you live within a walkable distance, um, Midtown or just in general Manhattan, things are easier significantly. If you lived uh, somewhere uh, in the Bronx, Staten Island especially, or Queens or Brooklyn, um, I will refuse the word out of boroughs, um, <laughs> outside of Manhattan, then um, uh, as, a, as, a, as an exception, what was, and I don't remember how it was worded, but basically yellow cabs started to actually uh, what's pair uh, passengers. In other words, if somebody was hailing a cab and they were going to Brooklyn and then there's somebody else, the yellow cabs had the permission to stop and pick as many passengers as they could fit, I think. Or maybe it was a limit yeah, of two. Yeah, I remember that. I actually. could be wrong about that. But by the way, there is something in that sort of, I guess, ride share companies present this as an innovation kind of car share mm -hmm. uh, that's a form of socialism yeah <laughs> no it, it's a form of living in an uh, urban setting you have okay. to share 
yeah, the subway yeah. train car is not your living room. It's not <laughs> for nail clipping. It is. It is. An, it is a public <clears throat> space where you have to share. And I want to <laughs> basically that, but that's what urban form is, where you have, walk the streets, and by definition, you have to yield, or you will bump into something or someone. Um, that is why this conversation is difficult because. On the one hand, I understand the need to relieve the congestion, but on the other hand, the way it's done, I think it may be impacting people disproportionately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to the question, I wanted to note that um, if you funded transit from land value tax, um, you would not only, I mean, the purpose of transit is to make land valuable by making it accessible. That's also the purpose of roads. But if you're funding the transit from land value tax, then, then it automatically becomes efficient because the transit person says is adding another is adding another late night train to New Rochelle going to increase land values by the cost of adding the train, or should we worry less about New Rochelle and improve transit in the city so that we can so people can go anywhere anytime in the city, and that that question can be economically analyzed by what will that do to the land values? And um, so there, there, is, there is that benefit. Um, there's also an anomaly in giving exemptions. Um, suppose one person lives in Manhattan and wants to visit his friend in Staten Island. And he gets on his Manhattan roads and makes the same trip as a guy who lives in Staten Island, Staten Island and wants to visit his friend in Manhattan. And what, what exemptions for residents says is the person driving to Manhattan has to pay a higher charge than the person driving from Manhattan. Um, so I, I question whether that's, that's really fair. It, it's shifting the burden away from the Manhattan residents to the residents elsewhere. And right. the same and thing is for parking. If you give resident exemptions from street parking, then the, then the person in Manhattan gets to park for free and drive to Staten Island, and the person in Staten Island does not get to park in Manhattan for free. So, right. and, and the benefits accrue to Manhattan residents. Yeah, at the expense of others, because the cost has to be higher to raise the same revenue if you're going to do that. Ibrahim, I don't see any questions. Are there are more? Okay, uh, this one is more of a comment than a question. Uh, quite helpful, I believe. Uh, please point out that it is by no means certain that congestion pricing as actually implemented or actually planned uh, will actually include proposed exemptions for the handicapped or others not able to use mass transit. There are many groups, including, I believe, the Riders Alliance, that, that have come out against all exemptions. Yeah, so. I think it's an important point. And I wanted to come add to the previous, to Dan's uh, statement earlier, because with exemptions already, so now this idea of congestion pricing in New York has been discussed since former Mayor Bloomberg, right? And um, the, immediately almost uh, the different groups, and we know how kind of New York City is New York City, uh, there are a lot of groups that are quite strong and voiceful. So immediately exemptions were being discussed. Mm -hmm. So then once you uh, award one type of exemptions, 
how do you decide when to stop and not to award another type of ex exemption? This is why I think basically saying, fine, let's go with congestion pricing, but it's the congestion pricing to enter New York City. There are already tolls, but those tolls uh, are paying for maintenance of bridges and tunnels, but then um, this is another would be another fee. So it's not six, what is it? I don't remember, $16 to, to cross the bridge or something, but it will be, let's say, $20. Um, yeah, which is already high. Yeah. Right, but, yeah. but, but again, it would, it would, it, to, to the earlier question from the audience, it could be set up so it varies depending on the uh, uh, residency. So if it's a New York City resident entering New York City from New Jersey, then it's not, what did I say, $25, it's, let's say, $20. And I'm just giving numbers as an example. There's no calculation mm -hmm. behind it. Good. Yeah, I just Go ahead, yeah, sure. it, if I were someone who had to come into Manhattan from, say, the Bronx or Jersey for my business uh, every day, I would now be thinking about just coming into the Upper East Side or Upper West Side and parking there and then doing my business in the city because I'm already paying a bridge toll or a tunnel toll. And since FDR and West Side Highway will be exempt, I'm not gonna pay another price. I would be worried if I were on the Upper East Side or the Upper West Side <laughs> that you're gonna get a lot more traffic congestion up there and no yes. parking spaces because that's what I would do for sure. Yes, that, that, that exactly is the point that there will be more traffic moving into those areas that are not told. That's why you either do everything or not. Yep. Exactly. Diversion, diversion effect or deflection but effect. There is a reason why this section was chosen. I'd like to mention a few words on this at the end. I love it. Yeah, so okay, that would be good. So uh, there is another comment from uh, Michael Murray. As a University of Chicago trained economist, economist, I can state definitely that the purpose of roads and mass transit is most definitely not to raise land values. The increase in land values is a consequence of the, of the other benefits of lowering the cost of moving people and goods from point A to point B. So, so what's that the- um, Sounds like uh, the sort of comment that Dan or Marty would want to answer. Well, no, I think he was- no, it, sounds, it sounds like he fails to make the connection between the desirability of a location and its value. I mean, a location is desirable if you can move goods and things to it. That's, it's, it's not an either or. It's like the purpose of the police is to make crime go down, not to raise land values. But wherever crime is, goes down, land values go up. You can focus narrowly and say, this is the purpose, but then you're losing the economic reality that that places that have access to lots of roads are always the most valuable places. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, same, same thing with lower congestion. So, lower congestion is a, a better place to live, and that's why the real estate industry is in yeah. favor. And the only point I was provided, trying to make, provided uh, that they don't overdo it. If they if the if they get a congestion charge that goes beyond what's necessary to lower congestion, and they start trying to generate that. revenue. From it, then it'll lower land values. Yeah, then there's right. two. Exactly, exactly. So we have uh, about seven minutes. So if you have some uh, 
closing comments to make. I understand Alec wanted to state something. Yeah. I, I, I yield to my panelists and I will come at the end. Okay, no <laughs> problem. So you want to go, Madi, or you want to have Denise? Uh... Uh, well, I can go now. Uh, I, okay. I think that uh, uh, I'm in favor of the congestion pricing. I think that it can be done. And I think with the exemptions, uh, we can uh, have something that, uh, that's equitable. Um, but uh, I do have to repeat myself and say that uh, what was found to be uh, necessary in London and what was by default was in, a, in effect in Singapore, which is a authoritarian government, which can do quite that was, a bit. That was the, the, in the past, maybe 20 years ago, not anymore. But, but yeah, I mean, still it's more authoritarian than the New York City, let's say. Okay. Uh, so uh, I guess that the point I was trying to make is that uh, in London, they had that uh, strong person that didn't have to, uh, uh, and very influential and didn't have to uh, beg any other politician. And, uh, um, uh, you know, he had, you know, that was Ken Livingstone. And uh, he was able to pull it off because he was a champion. But I don't see a champion out there that's going to be, uh, you know, putting this thing in place. Uh, I don't see Mayor Adams being the, the champion for this. Uh, if somebody can point out who that champion is, that'd be a good discussion. Thanks, Marty. Uh, well, I, I'm also in favor of the concept of congestion pricing, less congestion in the city, better air quality, but as currently proposed, it is just to me reinforcing the have and have nots situation in New York City that already exists in the real estate industry, and now you're just adding fuel to that fire, and the division of the borough is, um, is the thing that I feel really needs to be looked at. It should be shared. It should be shared across the entire borough, the, the uh, goal to uh, end congestion, because I do think above 60th Street will actually be suffering more than they're realizing, because people will avoid below 60th Street. Of course. Thanks. Uh, Dan, I know Alex want to come last. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I agree with the, with, um, the, the, the um, objection to hard borders for this. And that's part of the reason that parking, the parking charge is an ideal starting place for congestion charges, because it would gradually reduce as you went further from the prime areas. Um, I generally don't like exemptions. Quite often there are other ways to handle it. Um, we can we can give aid to the handicapped and a person who is not formally handicapped but has a um, is having a bad day and feels ill. Well, he can take a taxi that day, and it's not it's not as big a burden on him as an exemption for the entire year is a burden on the congestion um, approach. Uh, so, so those people, if they, if they frequently have problems, they can apply for a handicap plate and you could charge less for a handicap plate. The other thing is that we have in, in Allegheny County, which is greater Pittsburgh, we have, um, 
services specifically for the handicapped that are run through the transit authority. So, um, so handicapped people get a subsidized ride to the doctors or to other places that the rest of us can't get. We just, we get on a regular bus. They have a, a, a multi-passenger um, van that comes and picks them up and locks their wheelchair in place if they ride in a wheelchair. So, you know, there's always other approaches. And, and finally, you know, the idea of, of funding things with the sales tax, New York City and, and one or two places in California have the highest sales tax rate in the country. And there's already buses that go into Manhattan every day to take people to shopping centers in New Jersey. And people go to these shopping centers in New Jersey because the tax is significantly lower in New Jersey than it is in Manhattan. So I, I think you, you end up, um, I think you end up trying to, I think New York City more than any other place in the country needs to go to land value tax because it is the most overtaxed city on productivity anywhere. And, and you know, we've known this since John Locke in the 1600s, which is that every tax ultimately lowers land values and every government service ultimately, unless it's a really stupid one, ultimately raises land values. So for, for the people of, of Manhattan, you say, do you want a higher land value tax or do you want the, or do you not want the transit improvements? And either way, you know, the transit improvements should increase the value of being in Manhattan more than the tax decreases it. Very good. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Thank you, yeah. uh, Alec? Hi. You want to yeah. close, right? Um, I'd like to yeah, say a few things at the end, but now I'm trying to reflect on what's been said before me. So um, I'll, I'll probably just stick to what I have in mind. First, it is that we have to always remember and keep in our minds that urban economy is a shared economy. Um, with all the things that we own, actually we live in the shared community. Even though my neighbors don't know who I am over the past 20 years, still, <laughs> and I don't know them, it is still a shared apartment building. And, and, and there are certain um, norms around use of shared um, infrastructure. And the same goes to the roads, right? So uh, what one of the problems with this though, is that we're trying to uh, um, adopt a, a solution that is, and it's not just the congestion pricing, it's just in general, the approach. We, we're trying to keep things as if they were without recognizing that things have changed considerably. The number of um, develop, even though Denise would say there's has been much growth in residential construction over the past two years, but in general over the past twenty years there's been significant residential growth, um, with more and more residents being added. Uh, and what is specific about New York City is that while families may be moving out, um, households, new households are formed and move in, especially young professionals, each require each individual requiring a new place place. So that adds not necessarily in pers personal vehicle traffic, but deliveries or cabs and, and so on, emergency vehicles. 
and figuring out how to use streets for that, maybe to Dan's point about parking, not necessarily charging, but making up more space for the deliveries and to let traffic flow is one such ideas. Of course, there's many more that won't come up with public transportation improvements. But then there's another point. Why is it 60th Street and below? It, it refers to a concept from urban economics, from models from 1960s called Central Business District. It does make sense because the idea there is that this is the center of all the business activity in this economy and everything sort of converges there. If we look at New York City's uh, gross city product, most of it is generated in Manhattan. But then there's a few more statistics. And that is there are real estate companies and others who are tracking office capacity usage, right? And what we're seeing over the past year, at least this year, on a weekly basis, and um, I can share that data later, but uh, office capacity usage in New York City is at 47% or 50% at, at most, right? So that we, we have a lot of uh, vacant lots. That's number one point. So the central business district already starts to fade as this attractive uh, argument. The second point is that that derives from this is that some work, I'm not going to say a lot of work or most of work, but some work is being done more and more remotely as yeah. far as generating that high value uh, uh, gross city product, GDP of the city. Um, and so that has to be taken into account because as more we, people work from their homes in Queens, well, that's where congestion is rising. And that's where we need to start introducing congestion pricing as well. Or one might continue the arg sort of the argument, right? And suggest something like that. So this is why, again, we either have to figure out how to, uh, if we go with congestion pricing, probably is to kind of border a city urban border or none at all and start figuring out other ways of sort of coexisting and making things, improving things. Um, it, but again, this goes back to economists trying to rely on models that are great on paper, but haven't been really tried on a large scale in the metropolitan areas such as New York with its complex geography and socioeconomic profiles. And to Marty's point, probably some type of testing. And maybe it's been done, we don't know. But so it's a reaction really just to the information that is available publicly. Um, so it's just things to consider for us. And that's it for this week's episode of Smart Talk. Thank you for listening, and we hope it made you think. If you'd like to learn more about our research, check out hgsss.org. That's hgsss.org. If you'd like to listen to our content as soon as it's published, subscribe to our show. If you like our show, please leave us a rating, review, or even share with a friend. It goes a long way. Thanks again for listening, and see you next week.